Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there. Welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And I'm here with Jen Elizabeth today of Resurrection of Me. And I am super, super excited because I've wanted to talk to Jen. We've been kind of Instagram pals for a while. Yeah, a couple of years, I suppose. And um, yeah, really excited just to dive into her story and the conversations around um, her work. So Jen is a writer, speaker, trauma educator harm reduction specialist with the sidewalk project and the founder of resurrection of me a community for people healing from trauma and addiction she is also the author of the book shape of a woman and host of sober mum squad um, a survivor of sexual abuse childhood sexual abuse familial abuse addiction the prison system and spending the majority of her adult life experiencing houselessness she has taken back her power and dedicated her life uh, herself to support others to heal from trauma um, and yeah so thanks Jen I'm super super stoked that you're here to talk to us today over in Europe uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's about time it's been forever right like, I know, oh. I know. <laughs> um, yeah so we were just talking before that in in California at the moment things are looking hopeful for opening up a little bit they are they're starting my son is back in hybrid so two hours a day uh, four days a week, which is fi- uh, finally, it's been, a, it's been a year pretty much. And, um, yeah, it's starting to open up, but fingers crossed, positive thoughts that, you know, yeah. you never know what's going to happen really. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, in France, we've just gone back into lockdown for four weeks. So yeah. Uh, is, what is does mean- lockdown look like for you? I um, mean, does that mean you're well, it's better than it's better this time. I mean, the France, like a lot of mainland Europe was really strict the first time round. So we had right. to have um, like written, uh, we had an app on our phone that you had to like fill in every time you left the house. So you weren't, allowed, yeah, you weren't, it was very um, sort of police state. So you weren't allowed to go any further than like one kilometer from your house. You're only allowed out for an hour. Um you weren't allowed out in the evening or the weekends so you know and police would stop you and you would get fined if you were out of you know where you were supposed to be <laughs> yeah so whoa <laughs> yeah it was pretty it was pretty full-on I mean I'm quite lucky because I don't live in a big city so like I live by the sea so you know we've got I mean the beach was closed you weren't allowed on the beach you weren't allowed in the sea but um yeah you know one of my good friends lives in Paris and that was extremely intense with the police presence and stuff um this time um well kids are off but we've got curfew at seven in the evening so we're allowed out until seven we're allowed out 10 kilometers around our house so yeah (laughs) but still it's just a crazy crazy thing yeah I don't think I'll complain anymore about (laughs) about our (laughs) lockdowns oh my gosh yeah it's been pretty full-on and obviously I'm British right so I haven't seen any of my family for over Mm. a year so yeah we lost my uncle to covid i couldn't go back to the uk to to go to the funeral and yeah so my my parents are pretty pretty elderly they live in london so they have to be really careful because they're both cancer survivors so it's a it's a whole thing right (sighs) it is yeah it's a whole thing (laughs) so yeah i really want to talk 
um, about your work and about your story and just kind of open up this conversation about widening the conversation really about um, addiction and um, how we view it in society and the stigma that we seem to put people in boxes and how that kind of um, impacts on criminality really and how we view things like that um, and just to start because I now use the term houselessness um, yeah or houseless um, can you just explain to people why why you're encouraging that change of language just to start well the word homeless comes with a lot of stigma it's just like for instance, the word addict, right? So some people identify themselves personally with the word, with the, you know, label addict. And that's totally fine. I support anybody that wants to identify themselves in any way possible. But the word addict, homeless, you know, even alcoholic, whatever, everybody's different. But, you know, it really adds to a layer of um, judgment and the way that they view people. And, um, as far as houseless goes, um, they're really not homeless because the street is their home. Mm -hmm. And so home is more than four walls, right? Home is family, it's friends, it's community, and they have had to make their community on the streets. And so we prefer the term houseless or unhoused, um, and also, I think, too, for myself, you know, being housed or offering housing is not really the answer, mm. right? So there is a bigger answer. There is a bigger problem. There is, you know, policies and systems and institutions and organizations, just everything's put into place to abandon these people. Um, and so they want big pats on the back to offer them a voucher for, you know, three weeks and in a building, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not really the answer. It's not, it's not the whole answer. It's not the entire solution. And so, yeah, houseless really helps to, I I'm big on language. So I, I was not always big on language. I said a lot of things that, you know, I don't say today and that's, that's okay. Like, I think it's really important that we all are always consciously like, you know, reevaluating our language, reevaluating our, our thoughts, our beliefs. Does this still feel good to me? Is this something that I want to do? And so as someone who says and fights to be a, you know, someone who wants to erase stigma, mm -hmm. then I will do everything possible to avoid stigmatizing people. And so my language is very important. That's like the first you know, thing I really have control of is how I speak about people who use drugs or people, you know, who live on the streets or people who do sex work um, is to really minimize the language that builds even more barriers that prevents them to receiving the care that they deserve. Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, it's something that Kate and I have talked about right from the beginning of the podcast, really. I think it's like episode two, um, you know, on the other side of the of the kind of spectrum where we were you know kind of like developing problematic relationships with alcohol you know knowing through family experience or through friends or whatever what you know that 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 end experience of kind of being in in deep dependence looked like but knowing we weren't there and yet trying to get help and being told we were something and it was like well that's actually throwing me away like I'm I, I'm not 
I, I don't want to call myself an, an alcoholic because I don't right. I, I'm not I don't identify with what that that is or what it looks like for me I know it's a problem but I know I've got agency to change I just want someone to say I can like just give me permission to stop where I am and say like and change direction so you know we've had a like conversations and and it's and and the and the ability to change and mold with that too you know because at the beginning I hated the word recovery I was like I don't want to be in recovery I don't want to be in recovery that sounds really like depressing I want like life I want (laughs) you know and now it's like oh I'm in recovery from all the thing <laughs> I get right. it you know and I've appropriated right. it for my for myself and my own experience so and if we don't create environments where that type of change is encouraged then what happens is that somebody comes in who does not want to identify as an addict or an alcoholic or homeless or whatever they don't feel comfortable and safe and accepted and encouraged and then they leave and is that what we're really here for are we are, are we here to like give this checklist and if you don't follow this checklist like then you're out like I don't really think that's the purpose of this whole deal yeah 100% yeah and you know like every time I mean there's a big problem in the UK that like well probably in the US too but you go to the doctors and you sort of you know say I think I'm drinking too much or and they tell you to like you know count your units or moderate or you know and then you get sent away again and it's like I've probably been doing that or trying to do that already you know if I've got the guts to come in here and sort of advocate for my own needs and say I might have a problem like please don't sort of send me away and tell me to continue with that but try and do it less you know Uh, um yeah so yeah there's a lot of work and I you know I'm I guess part of the thing that I found that has kept me sober and and wanted to be proud about it and talk about it was that sense of activism within me and and knowing that there was something bigger going on and you know raising those conversations about mental health and um yeah about people's life experiences their trauma and you know when I realized that I mean I had um undiagnosed um complex PTSD for about 15 years you know and then it was like when you get all these bits together it's like okay now we can start healing the the whole person you know and takes away a lot of that a lot of that shame so could you tell me a little bit about your story you know whatever you're Um, comfortable to share (laughs) yeah no I mean I'm comfortable to share anything it's you know I I love that question because it's like wow where do I start you know it's such a big big story (laughs) um yeah so you know I basically the simplest way that I usually start off is just by saying that I was born into pain that didn't belong to me. You know, when I was, you know, pain, trauma, addiction, um, poverty, all those things, that's intergenerational, right? So oftentimes we're born into things that were going on years before we were even a thought in somebody's mind, right? And so you know, as a little girl, the only thing I knew how to do was to carry it, was to carry all that pain and just try to carry forward. And there was a lot of mental health going, you know, issues going on untreated and addictions and abuse and um, sexual abuse and all the things. And, you know, I just, 
I can't even look back at any point in my childhood at all and be like, I remember a moment of even liking who I was. I just, you know, always remember looking in the mirror or looking at myself and just being like, I'm bad, I'm disgusting, you know, I'm unlovable, you know, I'm going to hell, you know, all the, all these things. And so, you know, it really, um, I started developing, you know, disordered eating at around seven where I was chewing my food and spitting it out before I'd swallow it. And um, that progressed into, you know, a lot of suicidal ideation and plans. And, you know, I didn't know why, you know, nobody, I had no uh, support system. I didn't have um, any type of coping tools or, or anything. I just was kind of left on my own, you know, I was being sexually abused by, by, a pastor, um, and just abuse at my house. And, um, I would just lay in bed at night and just wish that I would go away. I just wanted to go away. And I didn't know what go away meant. I just knew that I just didn't want to exist on this planet. And when I was around 12, um, you know, I came very, very close to ending my life. It's, um, you know, I have a lot of scattered memories, which is very common in trauma where you have flash bits and pieces. Um, but a lot of it, I don't, really have clear memories of. Um, but I do have a very clear memory of laying in bed and just um, having it pretty planned out. And so um, I remember going to a friend's house and there was a bottle of vodka. And I had no idea what any of this was. I had no idea what road that was going to take me on. Um, I just tried it. And so this is why it's so important that people you know, really understand that the, the connection between trauma and, and addiction or, or substance use or problematic substance use in any way is so connected because the instant I drank that little glass, the instant I told myself, this, this is the answer. This is the answer and how to fix, you know, how I feel about myself. And I'm going to drink this every day. You know, I, I, and I did, I, from 12 until I was uh, 34, you know, I lived a life of just running from pain, just running and running. And, you know, it progressed from alcohol to other drugs. I ended up, you know, houseless myself for about 15 years on and off the streets. I was, you know, heroin and meth user, um, in and out of institutions and jails, um, was finally sentenced to state prison, living under bridges, track marks, my teeth were coming out. Um, you know, I had abscesses, you know, all, all the, eating from garbage cans. And, and that sounds really awful, right? I mean, it sounds, it was, it was awful, but nothing was more painful to me than having to stop and turn around and look at my childhood. I just cannot do it. That was more terrifying and more overwhelming than existing the way I was existing. And it's so important. And, and, and part of what I do today is to really bring back the human and people that are suffering in, in, in extreme trauma. And when you talk about people that are houseless and you talk about people who are existing on the streets um, for sometimes decades, 
and you sit and you talk to them like they're human and you listen, you will hear over and over again stories of in, incredible trauma from their childhoods. Yeah. And I know what it's like to be terrified to look at that. And I know what it's like to be willing to die in order to avoid that. Mm. And I think if we can kind of connect our own stories to other people's stories, instead of trying to separate and see the differences, we will have a lot better, a lot more empathetic world. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's something that has been a real kind of discovery and, 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 and part of the, the beauty of, of being sober and, and understanding the world in a different way, because, you know, I was, I was a hugely sensitive kid, you know, really like loved people too much, you know, like I just wanted mm -hmm. everyone to, um, to be well or to, to, you know, I was concerned about things. I was really worried about things. And, and when you, you know, I didn't realize that I had an addiction for a really long time and I, because of the stigma of like if you say that then people are going to say this about you and I was like but it's not that like I know that it was problematic but I wasn't there like I didn't need to go to rehab so like let me please just find my place in this but now sort of now that I've got that confidence to own my own story it's like well of course I had you know it's an addictive substance and I had major trauma of like of course I was addicted like I was addicted to cigarettes like I was addicted like I'm addicted to my phone like mm -hmm. and so when you start walking out into the world and you see people in different states and in different um, situations you have an understanding and an empathy and a kind of well I would hope people would look at the world in a different way and it's like I just was lucky like I just you know I'm white middle class woman living in France which has one of the best healthcare systems in the world which is free you know I was just I'm no different to anyone else I just got lucky like I just it was my privilege of where of my situation that meant that I could have that early exit do you know what I mean um, and I feel you know really sort of passionately that we need to open up these conversations and not say we're there you're here you know, it's all the same stuff it's just people have had different life experiences that have yeah they've ended up where they where they are um so how did you you know change how did you get get sober how did you what was the the process <laughs> you know again kind of like you were just saying how when you think about it, like, it's almost like, <laughs> it almost feels as miraculous as like conceiving a child, right? Like everything has to be, the environment just has to be just right for the sperm to go in the egg and your body's, and it's gotta be the right time of the month and everything has to flow. I mean, it feels the same sometimes to me how I got sober. Like it just, if I can't, I don't, I just, you know, I was in prison. Um, what prison is not rehabilitation. I absolutely do not agree with prison at all. Um, it just puts you so far behind in life and just, you know, continues us to perpetuate the cycle of trauma and, and, you know, having rec a record and being, you know, not hireable and, and just, you know, you're, you're excluded from financial aid or, I mean, it's just horrible, but 
one thing that prison does and did for me and something that we as harm reduction, you know, advocates or activists believe in is that having someone's basic until someone's basic needs are met, like don't expect them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Okay. If you don't have a toilet and you don't have food and you are afraid that you're going to get attacked at night and you're out in the elements and all these things like that consumes your mind. I would let, you know, everyone should just sit for a minute and imagine just for a minute, how that feels like that. Your, your brain is wired to survive, right? That is its first and only job. And so when your survival is, and your needs are at the bottom, you know, your basic needs, that's all you cannot move past that. Like the hierarchy needs it's, you know, it's a triangle, right? And so if you don't meet as you go up the ladder, you'll never, as soon as wherever it stops, it stops. And so your brain is completely consumed with trying to stay fed, clothed, sheltered, you know, use the toilet, you know, all these things. Right. And so that freed up my mind a little bit. I think it gave me a little bit of space to then sort of kind of look at my life a little bit more. And I, I was using in prison, um, but it wasn't as much obviously as on the streets, um, which again, kind of cleared the fog a little bit. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I had this moment and it was May 1st. So I'm about to celebrate 10 years. Yay. Amazing. I know. Right. It's insane. Um, and I remember sitting on my metal bunk with my metal locker and the cement floor and this, you know, brick walls. And I remember just thinking this, this is going to be it for me. Like I, I was 34. I didn't own a pair of pants. I had, you know, I had scars and my teeth and I was just, and I just like thought if I don't, something has to change because this is, this sucks. Like this is it for me. Um, and I just, something, you know, the tiniest spark ignited that just finally believed maybe just maybe that I didn't want to die like this, that I didn't want to die, you know, as a transient who's overdosed by herself, you know, in a riverbed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's my, you know, quote unquote recovery date. And, you know, that changed my life. Right. So sobriety has, has physically saved my life. Right. But removing the only thing, the only things that I had ever known to survive being in my own skin, which were drugs and alcohol left me just shattered. And so I believe that addiction recovery without trauma work is like a medical malpractice. It it absolutely is um, pointless (laughs) because a, most likely somebody's not going to stay sober and B, even if someone stays sober, like sober is not the goal here. Like I think if people really look at the big picture, sobriety is not it. What it is, is having a full, human healing, right? Of all the things. Sobriety happens to be a way that we can open up that gate. For many of us, it is, for me, it's been the best way for me is, is through being sober because I am someone who has never met a way to escape myself that I did not use to destruction. Like 
because I come from so much heaviness that I need to be light somehow. And um, so, you know, I had a, a really struggle my first couple of years of recovery. And that and that's a part of the reason why I really feel so angered and disheartened at the stigma inside the recovery community because you know I was told that trauma was an outside issue don't talk about that here we talk about drugs in this meeting we talk about alcohol in this meeting you know we don't talk about that other stuff or you know I was told that it works if you work it so you must not be working it right you know and I was during recovery wrong and all the things the things that we parrot the things that I said I in turn repeated because I thought that's what you do. I thought that's what, you know, I, I had no idea how to live. So I must follow this exact protocol of how this person tells me to live because I'm so lost, right? I have no idea. I didn't know how to brush my teeth. I didn't know how to make my bed. I mean, any of it. Um, and I was consumed in trauma, nightmares. You know, I also have CPTSD. Um, hypervigilance. I was disassociating all over the place, losing hours and hours of time. Um, and I was sober as hell. Right. So sobriety is not the thing, right. Healing is the thing or, you know, whatever it happens to be for you. And at about around two years in recovery, I was pregnant with my son was my first child. Um, and I thought about ending my life again. And I thought about ending both of our lives. And I thought that I'm not meant for this. Like, I cannot live like this. If this is what everyone says is so great, this whole sober thing, this whole recovery thing, like it just solidified my beliefs that I had since I was a little girl that I was broken. Mm -hmm. And again, another moment where the, you know, I don't know, the moon shone at the right hour and I, you know, who knows, like the cellular, something came together and I decided to get on my laptop and I Googled sexual abuse. And I had never even thought about the fact that I was abused because I always thought I was a participant in my abuse because that's what secrets do, because that's what child abuse and the manipulation and the grooming does. Um, and I, it was just as monumental for me as the day that I got sober because what I found is that all these symptoms that I had been that people were telling me were a sign that I was not working my recovery, right. They were all just listed. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, that's me. That's me. That's me. There's not, I'm not broken. There's not something wrong with me. Maybe something happened to me that I need to take a look at. And, and my recovery really took a huge 360 turn three, 360, 380, yeah. whatever. <laughs> It took a big turn round around round around. Um, yeah. And I began to advocate for myself and my recovery because mm -hmm. each of us has our own recovery. Like nobody's recovery dictates how you should recover or heal or be sober or whatever it is for you, you know, whatever word feels good for you. Um, wellness, you know, whatever nobody else has, has is entitled to tell you, how your wellness looks and what you need. And that's a big, you know, that's a big um, belief of harm reduction is that people are deserve, are entitled to autonomy and they are the agent, they, their agency, they know what's best for them, believe it or not. Yeah. They know what they need first. And so when we deny someone of that 
or when we shame them or humiliate them or exclude them for not wanting to do what we want them to do first, we are, in my opinion, responsible for people dying. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there that just this is incredibly important message. I mean, we talk about this a lot in our community. It's like, you know, find your fit. It's like, it might not be us. It might not be something else. It's, it might not be what someone else is doing, but it's like, you know, in your gut, what feels good to you, you know, do that. And no one else is in control. You know, no one else has sort of has agency over this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, yeah, I truly sort of believe that. And, and also the fact that, you know, sobriety for for me was the kind of yeah the the opening as you say was the is was the anchor or was the kind of um the freedom the key I suppose to be able to to open up and go you right darling like what's going on for you sweetheart you know why why do you feel so bad about yourself like why can't you look at yourself in the mirror and you know and and really kind of do that investigation and so in terms of your the second part of your recovery was that working with was that working in body therapy or talk therapy or a bit of both what's your trauma kind of recovery look like um, you know, I first started, I was a fly on a wall and I, and I started joining like, you know, survivor groups and, um, I did not say anything. Um, and then, you know, I started talk therapy, which I think talk therapy is great, but trauma is held in the body. Right. So you can, you can't really talk yourself out of trauma. And I think that's something that is pretty well established in the, you know, psychology community or the psychiatry community, whatever, is that you really can't talk your way out of trauma. You can't 12 step your way out of trauma either. You can't, you just can't. Trauma is just held in the body. And so, so much the body and the brain are, my brain is still wired to survive. The problem is, or the, the, the thing that I, I work through daily is that my brain is still wired to survive my childhood. And so I am constantly staying vigilant on staying in the present while my body tries to protect me from the past. Mm. And if you are a trauma survivor, an abuse survivor or anything, you will understand that. Yeah. Um, And so I started talk therapy and then I did EMDR therapy, which I absolutely love and swear by. And, um, you know, it's so, it's so great. I do inner child work, inner child meditation. Um, you know, really the thing for me is that, you know, this is all a shame. It's all rooted in shame, right? My whole life is rooted in shame. You cannot shame someone into changing. Like I had somebody tell me the other day, and this is almost laughable because, and I might even make it a funny meme, but somebody said, stop telling people they shouldn't be ashamed of themselves. Shame inspires change. This is a actual belief that many people have as shocking it is as it is for me or you or someone that realizes like, and understands and is like, has some education on what shame really is and does. 
this is something that people really believe. And many people in the recovery community, community believe this, that, that if you, if they don't feel shamed or ashamed, then they're never going to change. But shame actually drives you to do the very thing you're trying not to do. It literally infects everything that you maybe even want to change about yourself. Shame will come in and destroy it. Mm. And so for me, and I think for many people, like the antidote for shame is self-compassion. This is another thing that I get a lot of shit about in the recovery community is like, why are you telling people to love themselves if they're still using? Why are you telling people they should have compassion for themselves for disassociation because everything that somebody does to survive what they're going through should be honored. I don't care what it is. And until we honor, until we honor every single thing that a person does to bring them to the next day, then we will constantly be perpetuating shame. Yeah. And so that's, that's really what I do. I really, you know, I started, and, and this has been a journey for me. And I, and I spoke about this the other day about like before and after pictures. And I did the whole, my before fit pictures are shocking. Okay. They ended up all over the world. They end, I'm on faces of meth, you know, all these humiliating, humiliating, you know, websites. And I thought that's part of the, that's what I do, right? That's what we do. We, we humiliate who we were and glorify who we are, right? But that just kept me separated again. And it kept that shame going where, where how I used to be is what you don't live like and how I live now, we're all going to put on a pedestal. And that separation kept me, kept me from truly loving the full being of who I am. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I've I've never liked before and after. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, oh, this is pretty validating for my own belief system. But I've always just thought, why? Like, I get it. Like, I get the motivation of it, of being like, look how far I've come. And right. like, I've, uh, that's great for our dopamine. Like, that makes us feel good because we see progression. We see change, which is fantastic. But at the same time, it's like that person that's still you and that person needs a lot of love and that person didn't do anything wrong they just didn't know any better at that time or better right. is a very charged word as well but they right. they were they were in survival mode right they were just right. doing what what they knew at the time um so um tell me a little bit about yeah your your work with the sidewalk project and and projects that you've got coming up in the future a little bit about sober mum squad as well um, I know we've both got places to go, so I'm concerned. I've got so many things to ask you, but yeah. I know you we've know, got children. <laughs> I know. Oh my god! I know. It's like, how do we manage all these things? Right? It's amazing. <laughs> the, the mental. I, we talk about this a lot in the Sober Mom Squad. Is the mental load of, of motherhood? Like, yeah. it's constant of everything behind the scenes um, that we're always worried about. So yeah, the Sober Mom Squad is such an amazing um, group and platform. And what I love so much about those women, about the other moms in the squad and and the members and stuff um, is I think people believe that once they get sober, that there cannot, it's like you're either sober or you support people that use drugs. And I believe those things need to come together. And I believe sobriety is not superiority. 
It doesn't mean I'm better than anybody. Sober doesn't make you a good person just as much as using drugs doesn't make you a bad person, right? So I am very active in the sober community and I'm very active in the harm reduction community. And I will not separate those two, no matter who wants, no matter who tries to get me to, I will not. They absolutely can coincide and exist and be just as beautiful together. And so the sober mom squad is just that, you know, community for women who are sober or sober curious. It's not about, it's not any type of program. It's just a community um, with, you know, not an emphasis on alcohol being bad or any of that, but just an emphasis on how sobriety has helped us, us women in our, in our lives and our motherhood. Um, yeah, it's really great. And then the sidewalk project is a organization of, you know, of harm reduction organization. And we go tent to tent, um, um, in Skid Row, Los Angeles, a concerted effort in Skid Row, but there is other sidewalk projects um, in other areas. And um, yeah, we I have a needle exchange program where I, you know, give uh, new needles, take old needles, um, Narcan, safer smoking supplies. Um, I also do a Saturday program that has, you know, a focus on, um, open street sex workers, um, where we do condoms. And it's really about, you know, just giving them the things that society has obstructed from them. I think there is a, well, I don't think, (laughs) I know there is a misconception that people who use drugs or who live on the streets or whatever it happens to be that they need to be given something. But actually what's happened is that we have taken everything from them. Um, We make it extremely difficult for somebody to receive what, what they absolutely deserve. Like using drugs does not forfeit your human rights. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that is not, you are entitled as a human being just for being a human being there no prerequisites just for being a human being you know you're entitled to the right to life um you know the highest attainable standard of living for that person which we should not be comparing and judging what's right for you what's right for me what's you know everybody's different um you know social services to privacy to dignity like Everybody has these human rights, using drugs, living on the streets, whatever it is, does not, you do not forfeit that right. Mm. And unfortunately, what happens is we take all that from them. And we say, since you use drugs or you do this, you don't deserve health care. You don't deserve services. You don't deserve to be treated kindly. Um, you know, all, all these horrible, horrible things. And let's just sweep you under the rug and keep you in the dark corners because we don't want to look at you yeah. and we don't know what to do with you, you know, and, and the criminalization aspect is just so harmful. Like the reason that drugs are so dangerous is because of the criminalization of drug use. So here, let's talk about alcohol for a minute, right? So people are just floored over this idea of safe supply like 
you know, clutching their pearls over safe supply of drugs. Like, what will that do? That's going to make everybody use and just be like, they'll be like, you know, quote unquote junkies on my street and in my neighborhood. Well, let's talk about alcohol, right? Alcohol is a perfect example of a safe supply of drugs, right? So does having a safe supply mean that there's not people that are drinking problematically? Of course not, right? But for some reason, the entire world, not just the United States, not just where you live, the entire world has said, alcohol is okay. Like it's legit. We don't, we're not going to look at you like you're a scumbag, like you're a loser. Like you could drink, you can hide your alcohol in a, in a coffee cup. You could drink at your kids' parties. Like we're all okay with that. We even respect it so much that we're going to regulate it and make sure that it's safe for you. And when you go to the store, you have a label on there that tells you exactly how much alcohol, exactly how much everything is right in there. So you can use your rights and your autonomy and you can give consent to what you're buying. And you know that when you go home and you take your first glass of drink, you're not going to fall down dead. Yeah. Right. That's what safe supply does. So, but with other drugs, we're going to make it illegal. We're going to criminalize you. So then it pushes the market into the underground. Now, nobody knows what they're using. Nobody has, there's no, no, you know, nobody is regulating anything. So people are, are getting whatever they get and they're using once and they're dying. Mm. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous to me. I think it's just insane to believe that if we make drugs safer, that that's going to mean people are going to use more drugs. Like I, obviously people that think that do not understand addiction, (laughs) they don't understand like having the supplies or policies or programs in place to help you use safer is not the deciding factor of whether you're going to use or not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, it makes no sense. Like people are, as long as there's pain in this world and trauma and all the things, and there are ways to escape that pain, people will always use drugs. Like I do not believe we're ever going to abolish drugs. And I don't believe we should have to like everybody, everybody uses drugs on different levels. So we give people the right to drink alcohol, you know, maybe have a glass of wine at dinner, maybe on the weekends, relax, whatever. And that's totally okay. But we don't give people the right to use other drugs that way. And believe it or not, not everybody who uses drugs develops substance use disorder. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) absolutely shocking. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, and it, and it, it's more about kind of really understand, as you say, it's just like understanding what addiction is and and Mm -hmm. where it comes from. And it's complex, right? It's taken different forms and it's taken different explanations and diagnoses. And, you know, they're still rewriting the language and constantly because we learn more about the brain. But before you can do that, you can't, yeah, you can't look after people properly and you can't make these decisions about what is antisocial or, um, yeah, irresponsible behavior or criminal behavior, um, you know, uh, against something that's seen as normal and kind of, um, yeah, allowable or permissive behavior, which is where we are now, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I've taken all the drugs, but I didn't get addicted to them all, you know. Right, right. Um, so yeah it's it's about so many different things it's about usage time 
history, that moment when you've got the moment of clarity, when things work well, it's that moment of darkness when things aren't working well, mm -hmm. you know. And for me, that that moment of darkness was when I picked up a, a drink, you know, and that became right. the thing. You know? Right. Um, so um, what is a big question, really, I suppose. But, you know, what would you like to see it within sober communities or, you know, within the direction of conversation change or how can people start to look at their language or yeah I mean what can we leave yeah. people with with a kind of thought of like right this is something that I can do or be participative in I think you know if 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 your heart feels if you're listening to this or listening to anything else that somebody talks about harm reduction and your heart feels open a little bit to maybe okay maybe learning more definitely learn more from a harm reductionist do not learn more from other people who don't know what harm reduction is because it's very misunderstood and and not even let me re rephrase that i don't think it's misunderstood by most people and, and like recovery advocates and all that stuff what it is is it's frowned upon so they like to paint it in a picture that says oh well if you don't let people hit rock bottom or you don't let people, if you don't abandon people and exclude people, then they're never going to come crawling back on their knees to ask to do it this way, which is baloney. Um, you know, really just to find out, you know, educate yourself about what it is. And it, it takes a lot of courage to go up against the abstinence only narrative. Yeah. Um, it, it is, it is scary. And, um, you know, another big thing would be to, to really work on not projecting your own addiction story onto other people's substance use. And that's something we all have to work on. That's something even I catch myself doing, right? Like I know how my story went. So when I think about, you know, somebody else using it, I automatically go, oh my God, they're going to end up under a bridge. They're going to end up like this. There's no way that, you know, their life must be da, 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 da. But when we project our stories onto somebody else, we're, we're removing the like totality of a human, of the human experience. And like, everybody is so different. And if we want to stand up and say, I want to be seen as an individual, like, like, right. Like you don't want to be labeled this, but you still want to, you still want to have like a sobriety path that feels good to you. Well, the same goes for everybody. Yeah. Like everybody deserves the same community. Everybody deserves the same safety and acceptance and love. And, you know, people really deserve to be met exactly where they're at, not forced or coerced to come to where you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's tough, right? Because when you've had, I think, you know, it's taken me time to, through education, reading about it, like, because, of course, when I had to practice abstinence for my own safety mm -hmm. and my own mental health, you kind of have to feel quite passionate about it right. <laughs> you know and so it is I guess it's that thing of like yeah it, I think it, it's 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 sticking to your own path right isn't it it's like what's good for me is good for me but that doesn't mean that other people have to follow me or they have to do as I do in order to right. be valid in their choices um, and keeping an open mind and and yeah understanding I and 
and looking out I think as well and just seeing people as individuals you know we're so on our phones we're so like you know head down moving through life and just to stop and look around and just you know I think the biggest thing for me being in this community has been like I like literally know nothing about anyone <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I like you know, I walk down the street and I just look at people go I have like no idea about your life like mm. I cannot make any judgment upon you because I used to be super judgmental about people right you know, I, I used to think this like are you cool not cool do you like this music do you not blah 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 you know and now it's just like I think you I've no idea what what's happened to you because <laughs> I've met people like I would have had no idea you know some of the stories being a coach you just you would have no idea the right. the stories that lie behind you know people's everyday life um well thank you so much it's been amazing to chat to you um we'll put all the uh, information about where to find you on the show notes um you know check out if you're we have a lot of mums so check out sober mum squad and what they're up to um and yeah you know i'm let's keep this conversation going and hopefully one day we'll be able to move around you know yes and uh yeah meet up in real life one day I know, right? <laughs> Have a cup of tea. <laughs> I knew you were going to say tea. <laughs> Have a cup of tea. I would love that. I would love that. Yeah, it's been brilliant, Jen. Thank you so, so much. And um, take care of yourself and we'll speak to you soon. And if you're listening and if you're um, immediately concerned about your drinking or, you know, anything that's going on for you, then reach out. You're not alone. Um, you can send us an email at info at lovesober.com. Um, you know contact your GP um, Soberistas has an anonymous ask the doctor service so you know that's a really great thing you can do or look on alcohol change for agencies of support in your local area and um, we'll see you next week for more chats <laughs>